Welcome everybody to our new podcast for this week. Today we will be doing something slightly different to what we normally do. It's still an interview with a business owner, a past an experienced business owner. But today we are going to run, record two sessions and we're going to interview each other. So first up I'll be interviewing Mark Edmonds because Mark has a, an interesting background and I think his story is worth telling. If you looked at his LinkedIn profile, which I did again this morning, you'll notice that he is listed as an experienced non-executive director. He's a member of the Geelong Authority, which is a Victorian government statutory authority. He's also known as a business coach, and he sits on the panel of mentors for the government, the state government-funded VECI program, which is through the Geelong Chamber of Commerce. So welcome, Mark. Thank you, Bill. This is uh, slightly different, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's. Uh, I guess I know you so well. I'm just trying to think. Well, what can I really ask you, and and what makes sense to the people listening to us out there? And and I th- I suppose that's that's the uh, the the idea behind this was you know we're doing these podcasts and hearing some great stories, and we thought, well, we probably should talk about the people that are arranging the podcasts, and at least clear the air there so people know about us. Yes, I guess it's the old story of who are you and and what right are you got to, to uh, advise us on business issues and business stories? Absolutely. Well, Mark, your background is, is varied and diverse. There's no doubt about that. And right, you know, over the recent times, it's covered retail, hospitality, tourism, and you've done a lot of work. Oh, franchising is another area because you and your wife also held a franchise in a large shopping centre, uh, successfully, did. I might add. We did, and it was 99.9% my wife and 0.1% me, but yeah. Uh, that's all right. I know you're working in the background. Um, and in the not, as I said, in the not-for-profit area, you've got ex- you know, a very vast range of experience there. For instance, you've been the chair of the Western Coastal Board uh, on the, um, the down the surf coast. You're been chair of the Geelong Chamber of Commerce, you've been chair of the Barwon Community Legal Service and on top and we'll come back to some of these. And in more recent times you'll be the interim CEO of the South Melbourne market. Uh, and whilst all that's been going on, you've been building a motel and built a probably the the most modern and newest motel on the surf coast down in Ocean Grove. Uh, you want to tell us just we'll start off, let's let's tackle the your latest venture which you've just recently sold and that is the chalet in Ocean Grove. So the the Ocean Grove chalet uh, was born out of connections um, that I had through being the CEO of Fags Mitre 10 here in Geelong. Uh, one of the uh, key customers there was Mark from Lemaister Builders and Mark had this vision of building something different in Ocean Grove to a block of flats and uh, he bought this block of land and he uh, designed a motel to go on it and then sort of rang me one day and said, can you come and have a chat? We think you guys, as in my wife and I and he and his wife, we uh, have got an opportunity. So that was the conversation. It's uh, You never know where conversations and connections lead and this led to us um, taking 18 months to build a, a motel that was beautifully designed and then none of us had any, well, that's not true. My wife had experience working in um, 
motel accommodation. And I, many, many years ago, actually helped a friend open a motel and operate a motel they'd bought in Coffs Harbour. I went and lived with them for two weeks, helping them run that. But we started from the beginning and um, built it up over four years, two years of COVID, and uh, successfully sold it in March this year. That's yeah, And that's an interesting story. Uh, just quickly, the uh the organisation that bought it. You'll just elaborate on why they bought it and what they're doing with it. Um, yes, it was it, it was really interesting. It's the Nurses and Midwives Federation, and uh, they approached us on the basis that um, they had surveyed their members to see what members were interested in uh, uh, as part of their membership of the the Midwives and Nurses Federation, and one of them was providing uh, holiday accommodation. So they bought our motel. They've just recently bought one at Beechworth and I believe they've got a, uh, a accommodation or a pub in uh, in Melbourne and it's open to their members only and uh, they have to uh, they get a, a fully discounted a really substantial discounted rate and uh, I think it's a great opportunity a great great idea and uh, it's uh, something that their members can take advantage of uh, all year round. Yeah, well, that's forward thinking, and that's a gr- that you, uh, you're right. It is a great idea, but let's go back to the the real beginning, right? Uh, right back to your beginning, because I know that you came from another country far, far away. Okay, so if we want to go right back to the beginning, I was born in Birmingham, in England. Um, at the age of five, my father, who was an engineer, took the family to India. And from the age of five till about the age of 11 or 12, we lived in India, uh, schooled in India. Uh, We went to an American Jesuit school. I think there was 1,200 kids there. Uh, It's interesting when I read about uh, diversity. I went to this school with 1,200 Indian students and there were three European white faces in the place, which was myself, my brother, and a a girl from France, I think. And... um, for the first few weeks, we had about 20 or 30 kids would follow us around the playground because we were slightly different to everybody else. Uh, and we were nicknamed monkeys, red monkeys, because when we ran, our faces went red with, and uh, we were nicknamed red monkeys. But it was great, great experience. And we moved back to Birmingham. And, uh, and then my father said, where would we like to live? And I still to this day remember sitting around the kitchen table and my father saying, how about we go to South Korea? How about we go to Carolina? How about we go to this country called Australia? And we all read all the info. No no Google in those days. And uh, we put our hands up and voted to go to Australia. And that's where we ended up here. So were you what they call 10-pound poms in those days? Uh, sort of. We actually flew out because my mm. dad had a, uh, a role with the company he was working on. They wanted him to come out here or to the other places. And... Um, so yes, we, we flew out on a 707, I remember, the, the, the early jets took ages to get here, and uh, we settled in Sydney, and uh, that was the start of our life in Australia. All right, so I guess it would have been quite exciting coming out here, and, but you finished off your schooling, you went to university, and what did you do when you came out of university? So I went to university to... Um, learned to be a teacher and uh, interesting enough in those days and you know my my son and my daughter uh, sons and daughter hate the fact that I talked to them about the fact I was paid to go to university and things were covered but those were different days Um, 
and I came out of university and deferred my uh, diploma of teaching year and joined a company called Target. It just seemed uh, to be a good business and uh, there was retail in my in my mum's side of the family and I decided I'd like to get into that and I haven't looked back. I joined Target and, and I've had a great career and my friends all went into teaching and within a few years most of them were whining and whinging about how hopeless it was and how awful it was. Uh, so I, I, I have done teaching but in a different way in my in my life through Target. So what was the biggest what do you think is the biggest lesson you learned about business working at Target? Um, to take opportunity, I think. Um, I, I, I found that um, learn as much as you can and, and I, I, I started at Target as a trainee manager. And in those days, the trainee managers were sort of, you know, expected to start work at 7.30 in the morning and you were the last to leave. But also you had huge opportunities. So I just made sure that if um, there was a role going that they were trying to fill, I'd volunteer to take on that role. So I, I did everything from uh, cutting fabric on the cutting table uh, to uh, running the receiving area and dealing with delivery drivers and checking stock. So I knew the inners and outs of the whole business and that's been in good stead. So I think one of the learnings is have a go and, and get your hands dirty and it'll help you in the long term. Is that why or how you ended up in Geelong because Target were located in Geelong? Uh, yes, I uh, we uh, built, I built a career up in, in New South Wales and then the role I had, there was a national role and that became vacant and I was asked if I'd be interested in that role. And I was asked on the Friday afternoon, I was in a meeting here in Geelong and I'd enjoyed coming to Geelong regularly on meetings. And I said to them, when do I need to let you know by? And they said, Monday. And I uh, sort of ummed and ahed at the airport, rang, rang back uh, to the, the person that offered me the job and said, yes, I'll take it, flew home and then said to my wife, oh, I've got some good news, we're moving to Geelong. Uh, I thought if I went home and discussed it, I might convince myself not to take it and I thought, no, I need to. The gut feeling was right and so uprooted uh, Wendy and I down to Geelong. Uh, and probably, I assume or I think I know, you didn't. You never regretted it. Ne- never regretted it. I have, so. have enjoyed it every minute of living down here. And right now, of course, uh, you're living in, in Ocean Grove and I've been, Mark's got a home office and I've sat in that home office and when you look out the window, it's an uninterrupted view of the ocean and the surf. So I think you've got the best position going. Uh, I, I think we're very lucky to have worked hard uh, to allow me to have that view. Good. Now, I mentioned before South Melbourne Market um, and that's full of small businesses. So just some reflections on an operation like the South Melbourne Market that, and the small business aspect of it. Um, South Melbourne Market, if you've never been, is, is well worth going to. It's absolutely a brilliant place, has a fantastic atmosphere. And in fact, this week I actually popped in there to uh, say hello to the new executive officer that's running it who worked for me when I was there. The small businesses there... Uh, did it tough over COVID, but the uh, the city uh, of Port Phillip reduced their rent while they were uh, going through COVID and, and, and supported them. But a lot of them are, are really family-driven, have been working there at the market for 25, 30 years. Their father had it, their mum had it. Um, they're brilliant little businesses that are really specialised. And um, if you want to see how a business corners a niche and does it well, Go to the markets, go to South Melbourne Market and see how well they do. 
Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most successful markets I've ever seen. It, it's it's a great place just walking around during the week. I, I didn't realise how much I missed being at that market, especially when uh, some of the traders recognised me and said, oh, are you back? And I said, no, no, I'm just visiting. So that, that was really cool. Uh, just by coincidence, my, one of my nephews had a business and he had a stall there for six months and I used to go down there and help him on the stall. Uh, and it was fascinating, the the diverse range of people that come through the market. Fantastic. But always with a smile on their face. Yep, fantastic place. All right, so another business, which is a well-known family business, was when you went and became the CEO of Fags Mitre 10. So how does a business like that, first of all, your observations when you're there, and secondly, how do they survive against the big box green giant? That, that, That was a great great period of my life. I'd, I'd left um, Target Kmart uh, and had started doing some business consulting with a friend of mine, Joe Plummer, and uh, that led us to Keith and Barry Fagg and, and having a discussion about uh, how we can help their business. And one day Keith rang me and said, instead of telling us what to do, come and run the business. Uh, big step for Keith and Barry because it'd been a family-run business, so they were bringing an outsider in to help run it. Um, and that was fantastic. Great learnings. Um, the key to their competition with 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 um, the green box bunnings is uh, service. Their their service was exemplary, and and that was driven wholly and solely by Keith, who had written a training program and uh, called Shellac. Still remember it very well today, and uh, that was done. Uh, every staff member that joined the business was trained by Keith personally. And that then got handed to me, and 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 the family saw that as really important that the CEO of the business led the training from the front on customer service, and uh, that was the values and behaviours all driven around that great customer service. And and Fags had a huge reputation for that brilliant customer service. Yeah, you've told me that story about Keith before, and I think it's fantastic, and uh, it really amazes me with many businesses that I've visited over the years and some of the big corporates I've worked in, the, the lack of a proper induction or onboarding, as they call it these days, program when someone starts. It's too many times it's a case of we've got a, we've got a vacancy, quick, let's hire somebody. They hire them, there's your job, away you go. And, uh, and it, it must have an enormous effect on the morale of the business. It, it does, and, uh, and I think... You know, the, the immediate reaction is, oh, well, can't that be delegated to somebody else is, is probably the, the... And yes, it could be. But I think it was a great way for the then CEO, and, and I, I, I don't know if it's continued, to actually meet all the new hires and get to know them a little bit and run this session and make sure they understood it came from the top. It didn't... It wasn't just something they were being told to do. Everybody did it. Um so I think it was, re- and it's a, it's another version of management by wandering about, isn't it? As, as the CEO or the general manager or whatever, you need to walk around the business and be seen. Um, and um, I, I remember Kelvin, ex-CEO of the city of Geelong, he, he spent a lot of time wandering around. He went to all the different locations so that they could see him and hear from him and know that it was not being watered down as it got to him. So I think it's really, really important, that sort of induction and and how high it comes from. That's right. One of my favourite sayings is a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. Yeah, very good And line. many CEOs, uh, I think, have got glue and have stuck their backsides onto their 
onto their seat and never leave their desk. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. I, I, I remember uh, in my days at Target, the AMD then, Larry Davis, um, he would wander around the buying office constantly and, and one of his predecessors, um, a gentleman by the name of Brian Beatty, did exactly that. They, he would just turn up in a buying area and say, what's new? What are you buying? What are you up to? Where are you going? And likewise, go into stores and visit stores. And very important that people get around because if you sit in your office, you'll only hear what people want you to hear. We mentioned before that uh, Wendy, well, both of you had a franchise and Wendy obviously ran it and ran it. I remember her going there every day very early in the morning and, and working like crazy. I don't know how she ever got a time off because it was a seven-day-a-week. So just talk a bit about owning a franchise in a large shopping centre like that, a, a food-based franchise. So Wendy um, ran a cafe in Ocean Grove for a few years and really enjoyed it. Wendy really loves the customer service side of things, dealing with customers. And uh, she saw the Donut King franchise uh, up for sale in the Warmpond Shopping Centre and thought, I, I, I wouldn't mind that. So the idea was that the both of us were going to run it and operate it. Uh, that fell through because I ended up ending up working at Fags, uh, and Wendy then took it on on her own. With I was quietly in the background. Uh, the learning curve is you you go into a franchise. The franchise agreement, no matter what anybody says to you, is one sided. It's written on behalf of the franchisor rather than the franchisee. And uh, I remember, as we do, you get legal opinion on the document and they read through it and said, we don't like some of this stuff, but you're not going to change it because that's just the rules that they set by. The world has changed in those days. I think uh, the retail food group has gone through a huge change and the whole franchise market's changed. But we, from day one, made sure we had a connection with the centre management so we knew what was going on. We could talk to them. But again, you, you just have to be very wary of what you're stepping into it's a great business it, it worked well wendy built it up from i think doing about six hundred thousand a year to nearly eight nine hundred thousand a year um hard work but you're 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 a small fish sometimes in these shopping centers and um, i know we had a couple of rental negotiations which always started off very uncomfortable because there'd be this ambit claim from the center on what your rent should be and then the discussion would start um, but you have to be very aware of where you're going or what you're doing. Get really good advice and be very clear on what you can and can't do. And I think so many of these franchises go in, put their life savings or super into it, and then realise that the fees, the, 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 the centre charges, the rent, um, it makes it hard to make a dollar. You've got to really work your business hard and uh, have great service. They've got all the systems in place. It's how you can use that to your best advantage. You know, one of the lessons that uh, business owners can take out of franchising is the is all about systems and processes. And it's, it's something that we'll talk about another day because in the future we're going to interview a franchisee from the Clark Rubber Group. All right. Moving on, uh, what's the biggest issue facing business operators today? Well, it, it, it's interesting. I, I, it's through the, the mentoring I do and also I, I, I um, sit as secretary on the Ocean Grove Business Association and talk to the businesses there. The, the two things that are striking them is obviously there's a degree of uncertainty um, and yes, businesses are doing okay, 
but interest rates climbing, the lack of staff, that, that is a, a huge issue in trying to get people to operate. Uh, I know a number of businesses that just don't operate the hours they want to operate because they can't, they haven't got the staff. Um, the, the interest rates, are, are, if they've got a loan, that's a worry because how are they going to pay that? And then you've got energy costs. all cu- So the, there's a bit of a perfect storm in expenses. And a number of the businesses that I'm talking to have taken it upon themselves to go through line by line every expense item that they have uh, and looking at how they can uh, get their costs down. Uh, one, one cafe that I was talking to goes through tons of butter uh, and he was buying it in, in small packs. He's now worked out that if he buys it in 10 kilo blocks and he uses a cheese wire to cut it into the sizes he wants, he actually saves about 15% of the cost of the butter. So it's all those sorts of things is looking at every single expense um, and not being afraid to query the electricity, the gas, checking where your, your, uh, where your supply is coming from. Uh, and a lot of businesses don't. They may not be aware of where their, their expenses are, and, and that's crucial in this current time. So I think the uncertainty of where it's all heading is is a real concern. On the other hand, there is money out there and you can see people spending money. So it's um, it's going to be an interesting 12 months. Good. I'm glad you mentioned uh, electricity because uh, that's one of the biggest issues we're facing or small business in general are facing. And the larger you get, the worse off you're going to be. And it's amazing how many people pay have automatic payment systems pay these accounts as they come in they don't go back and check the original contract and they don't go back and check when did the companies put through price rises. So I can I appreciate what you're getting at there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, and I think as, as every business, I, I look, if I go back into my own career at a corporate level, one of my roles at one stage was in Kmart, uh, was looking at the expenses of Kmart and I started with, looking at the phone bills. Now, you might think looking at the phone bill in a, in a corporation. At, at a really high level, the, there are hundreds of phones around the place. And we discovered that we were paying for phone lines into stores that had never been used. But Telstra or Aptus or whoever the company was, was happily charging us for the use of those phones or those phone lines. And they weren't being used. I think I found there were like 30 mobile phones that we were still paying for and those people didn't actually work for the business. They'd left and gone. Um, and it's just a matter of having the systems and controls in place and looking at those expense lines. And, and that's a big company that, that, that I worked on. Yeah, I can re- relate to that and tell many similar stories, which you, you often see. The larger you are, the worse off it is. I can, that's been my experience. All right, so uh, here we are doing our own podcast on each other. Um, why did you get into podcasts? Um, I think you asked, asked me to get involved, <laughs> but I, I, I think, um, it, it, look, it's good fun. I, I've really enjoyed the, the four or five people we've spoken to so far. I've learned a lot about them as individuals and about their businesses, and I think people like to hear the stories about how a business started and what they've learned and what they haven't learned. So... I just think it's it's the way, it's a new tool and, yeah, it's fun. It's good fun. Yeah, and it's something you can listen to any anywhere and wherever you are. All right, so just one final question, I guess, and it's about you personally. What about outside of work activity? Uh, at the moment, my outside work activity is um, 
probably sorting out my adult children and where they're heading off to. I've, I've got a daughter that's shifted up to Brisbane and I've got a son that's about to head off to Perth. Uh, the joy of that is, is next week I'm going with him and we're driving across the Nullarbor to deliver his car to Perth. I've always wanted to do it, but not necessarily in a big rush, but that's what we're going to do. Um, I enjoy going for good walks around the place and, and investigating stuff. I do enjoy photography, but I've, and I've got to get back into it. Uh, but my main uh, hobby or interest is mentoring businesses. I really enjoy working with businesses, especially family businesses and small businesses and, and uh, helping them through the myriad of life issues in business. Well, it's great to hear all that, Mark, and well done on your career to date. And I know it's not over yet. Uh, as uh, you know, I'm working on some, a program of how we uh, handle the second half of our life, which starts at age 50. So there's lots of opportunities. So thank you for answering my questions this morning and good luck for the future. Thank you, Bill.